Hi, I'm Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail podcast where it's all about Maryland. We have a no-holds-barred conversation featuring Maryland newsmakers and newsbreakers, journalists, reporters, politicos, politicians, policy wonks, prognosticators, political activists, organizers, community leaders, and so many more. Man, that's a lot of peas. Here on a Minor Detail podcast, we get to the bottom of every story. We talk about news and politics in an open and honest format. And we find the minor details because every detail matters. You can follow us on the web at a aminordetailpodcast.com and aminordetail.com for the latest Maryland news and politics. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. All right. Um, welcome back to a Minor Detail Podcast. This is Ryan Miner. Somebody has their radio on in the background, and they need to turn it off. Um, I, this is another Sunday night episode. We're live tonight. I have Jake Day with me and Lynn Foxwell. But first, I have to commiserate with any of my fellow Steeler fans. Uh, so we're not, we're not off to a good start. And for any Redskins fans listening out there today, oof, you know, you know. I don't know what the season's going to look like. Foxwell, what do you think? What's that season going to look like? Well, I'm a Ravens fan. So so right off the bat, our season looks pretty damn good. Yeah. The uh, Redskins, I mean, I, I watched yeah, I, I watched enough of both of the games to know that actually Case Keenum's throwing pretty well. It's just that uh, they just have too many holes on the line, too many holes in the secondary. They're just going to have – they have some personnel issues and – it's going to be very hard to get it worked out in the within the framework of a very tough NFC East. I think it's going to be a long season for the Redskins. Mr. Mayor, what about you? What's your fo- who's your football team? Well, look, Ryan, uh, I agree that uh, the Steelers' season is not off to a great start. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know that this interview is off to a great start because I didn't know you were a Steelers fan. I'm also a Ravens fan. Well, don't hold uh, that against I'm, me. I'm a little disappointed. Did you guys hear that Richard Kasich died? I just posted something on Facebook about it. Um, My my wife's devastated. uh, Listen, those those of us uh, who are of a certain age, and I'm a few years older than uh, our great Mayor Day, but, I mean, the cars, that, that was part of the soundtrack of our childhood. I mean, songs like You Might Think and Drive, Shake It Up, Magic. I mean, that that was um, when I think of the summer of '84. I think of songs like that, and it just—it's it, sad because a little piece of your childhood goes along with you when when someone from your past passes away. Well, in the summer of '84, I wasn't even a thought yet. So, <laughs> okay, I, I, okay, I'm gonna sign off and let you kids talk to each other. I'm gonna <laughs> uh, my, all right, cash in all my right, ARP you too. Discount to have breakfast at Denny's. All right, you two. Well, welcome both to a minor detailed podcast. It's an honor again to have uh, Salisbury Mayor Jake Day and Lynn Foxwell, the Comptroller's Chief of Staff, on the show. Both Lynn's a frequent guest, uh, sometimes a guest host. Jake, we've had you on a couple times, but Jake and I, um, we, we talk a lot, and I get to learn about all the promising things that are happening in one of America's greatest cities, which is right here in the state of Maryland on our lower shore, which is Salisbury. So I'm excited to bring you on, um, first and foremost. Jake, 
uh, I know that I, I just want to kick it off and say, uh, you know, September 11th was an important date uh, on our calendar, and you are a military officer. So first and foremost, I want to thank you for your service, and I want to say, you know, thanks for all that you've done for our country and your military career. And it takes a lot to not only be a mayor of one of majors Maryland, uh, one of Maryland's major cities, but also have a family and then aside, you know, go out and put on our nation's uniform. And I just, I have a lot of respect for you, Jake. Well, Ryan, I appreciate that. Um, I also appreciate the service and sacrifice of, you know, all those who paved the way for anybody who's wearing the uniform today, myself or anyone else. Um, but I, I also want to say that, uh, you know, September 11th, uh, the 18th uh, anniversary of September 11th was obviously a day that's important to every American and important to a lot of people around the world. And um, uh, just just stunning to think that uh, the babies born, uh, yeah. you know, on that day are just being uh, reaching the age where they can exercise their right to vote and participate in our democracy. Um, it's amazing how rapid the passage of time is, isn't it? I mean, I remember that day as clear as yesterday's. I'm sure you remember that day, Lynn, and Jake, you remember that day. And, you know, here I was. I was a, I was a 10th grader at Williamsport High School in Williamsport, Maryland, and was walking to my, my, uh, my second period class. And lo and behold, we turn on the television. And then ultimately, I think we got out of school early that day. And it's just one of those it's one of those indelible memories that I'll never forget. And I think in the last, you know, 33 years of my life, that was clearly one of the, the most impactful moments in American history. And it's something that uh, we, we wish we never would have went through as a country, but here we are today. And I think we are, you know, still, still trying to understand what happened in that tragedy. So, all right, let's talk about, let's talk about what's happening in Salisbury Jake, what is the the National Folk Festival? What what does that mean for Salisbury? And tell me a little bit about uh, what happened. Well, uh, Salisbury, look, we're a, we're a small city. Um, we're we like to think of ourselves as the capital of the Eastern Shore, uh, but we're a fast growing city. We're Maryland's fastest growing city. We've been uh, a fast growing city for many years, and um, I believe that uh, it's the obligation of public officials to work to better their community, and sometimes that's easily measurable through economic impact or reduction in crime, and sometimes it's um, it's the intangible and it's the um, it's the uh, you know um, uh, um, spiritual almost for a community. And about. Six years ago, a woman named Laura Botanelli, who was the, um, at the time the director of the Ward Museum, approached me and said, hey, uh, we need to go after this big event. It's a big national event that moves every three years to a new city, kind of like the Olympics. Um, but it's an annual event, but it, it sits in its host city for three years and then plants a permanent legacy festival in its place. And, you know, my reaction to her was we weren't ready. Uh, we had fundamentals that weren't weren't in order. We had uh, major problems, and, and most of all, we had political types. We had you know, the politicians who were more oriented on each other than they were on doing good for their community. And that's a long way of telling you that uh, eventually she twisted my arm three years later and said, hey, we need to do this thing. And I said, you know what, we're ready. Let's go for it. We competed against 34 other cities nationwide. 
uh, 34 other finalists and then uh, our semifinalists, uh, and then we're selected. And um, now it is uh, in its 79th year, uh, in its second year in Salisbury. We had a great weekend. We had the biggest event that our city has ever had, the largest event in Wicomico County's history, over 150,000 attendees. You know, uh, we don't have the final economic impact numbers yet, but last year with uh, less than half of that attendance, we had some bad weather uh, in the first year, uh, we had an over $20 million economic impact in one weekend. So we're expecting those numbers to be north of $40 million in one weekend. Again, our biggest economic single event. So it's a big deal for us, a big deal for our community, and it really brought people together. I'm reading, Mayor, that the National Folk Festival of the United States was first presented in St. Louis in 1934, and it is the oldest multicultural traditional art celebration in the nation. And it's the first event of the of National Stature to put the arts of many nations, races, and languages into the same event on equal footing. So it brings – what did I see? That 150,000 or so people to – uh, Salisbury in the last over the last weekend, and so my my thought pattern is is that 150,000 people who otherwise would not have been in Salisbury that they are taking advantage of Salisbury's downtown area. They're staying in your hotels. They are paying those uh, those hotel motel taxes. They are using your restaurants. They are frequenting your your shops, and they are they are investing. They are, they are, this is the commerce that we all want in, in our cities. And look, in Hagerstown, where I grew up, we had the Blues Festival. Unfortunately, last year, they lost it, another major event. So this folk festival, as I, I read more about it, and I just reviewed it all weekend, this is huge for a, a small town like Salisbury. And Jake, what was the turnout like? What was the community? What was the vibe of the community? And uh, how did they respond to it? Did you get a bunch of local people to come out? Yeah, I, I don't have the final numbers to... yet. Uh, I'm uh, sorry, I'm getting a little feedback there, Ryan. Um, I don't have the final numbers on the uh, breakdown of estimated um, locals versus visitors. But last year, uh, it was about 60% locals, 40% visitors. We expect that to probably come close to flipping uh, this year. Um, so we had folks come from uh, all over America. You know, we talked to folks from Montana and California and Washington, North Carolina, uh, Virginia, Pennsylvania, all over, um, and a lot of locals too. And the universal sentiment, the, the most common sentiment on a street corner, if you talk to a visitor, if you talk to a resident who was out, was, you know, I love Salisbury. I've never seen my community like this. I've never seen anything uh, so powerful and transformative. And those sentiments are precisely the reason to pursue something like this. Again, the economic impact is, is fantastic, it, but the community spirit impact is immeasurable. Uh, right on. Uh, uh, and you're right. It's an, an immeasurable contribution to the community. Plus, it's in one of the – September is a, a fantastic month in the state of Maryland all throughout. It's still – it's still summer. It's warm. People are happy. And the, your, you, you and your council over the last four years, what I have observed, has fundamentally transformed the way that Salisbury is doing business, attracting new businesses. And your downtown is really coming alive, much more so than I saw from 
Salisbury when I was growing up as a kid. You know, we'd always pass by Salisbury when we're going to the beach to Ocean City. And I I just I have to say, Jake, and we'll we'll talk about this later in the show. Salisbury with with uh, with a a collective kind of group think setting, it, it you you have really led the way. Um, to be one of Maryland's best cities. Now, with this national, with the National Folk Festival, I, of course, when you draw a big crowd, there's going to be some some safe drinking involved, right? So that, of course, means that you would need to apply for the permit process. How does that work, Jake? How do you? What, what's that process look like? Yeah, um, so that's actually a fundamental part of. Uh, the the festival itself. So when you apply, um, you are uh, essentially accepting the responsibility for partnering with and agreeing to a a national traditional event. Um, so over that time, I'm sure traditions have changed a bit. But the way it works now is, you know, you're essentially agreeing to a juried selection of national acts, um, uh, meaning the performers. Um, a juried selection of the artisans, the merchants, um, and then a, uh, a competitive and juried selection of the food vendors that will be in the footprint, and that you agree to there being food vendors. And another thing you're agreeing to is that beer and wine will be available throughout the footprint. And um, while we know not everyone consumes alcohol, nor do we want everyone consuming alcohol, I think you know we want everyone to do whatever they want um, and have a good time. Um, but we also know that, you know, in the, the wisdom of uh, Mayor G. Williams in Berlin uh, has repeated to me many times is that, you know, when they first tried to have uh, consumption of beer and wine on the streets for events in Berlin, they, they clustered all the beer drinkers into one little area and then said, hurry up and drink and then go enjoy the festivities with your families and whatnot uh, later. And it was a disaster. And when you rather allow it to uh, engage freely across the footprint, across a controlled permitted footprint, um, then what you find is there's there's uh, more uh, moderate consumption. There is, um, you know, the integration of families and those that do drink and don't drink and everybody's just having a good time and it doesn't become an issue. Um, And that's, of course, what we found over the last two years attracting over 60,000 the first year and 150,000 the second year, not one single issue. Um, We didn't have police issues. We didn't have alcohol issues. We didn't have any violations of our, um, uh, our state license or anything like that. But, but to answer your question about how you go about the process, once you've, once you've accepted that, then you do whatever is required in your state. So um, the, the Richmond Folk Festival had to do whatever was required in Virginia. Um, you know, the, uh, the Montana Folk Festival, same, uh, or the National Folk Festival in Montana, Butte, Montana, same there, same in Bose, or, or uh, in um, uh, um, uh, Bangor, Maine, and Chattanooga, and Greensboro, North Carolina. Salisbury is no different. So uh, naturally, the the uh, holder of the license um, and the fiduciary uh, party responsible for the festival, the Salisbury Arts and Entertainment District, pursued the license, um, and they pursued uh, um, a license locally to see is that the appropriate way to go, um, and found quickly that there was an unusual and different from the normal process um, uh, resistance to issuing a license and uh, some scuttlebutt that indicated that one would not be issued uh, whatsoever. 
which obviously would have meant the end of the festival before it even began. And so quickly, uh, we explored what's possible uh, through the state licensing process, which, by the way, is not a, uh, an appeal or anything like that. It's just a separate and parallel process. And uh, we, we had to follow all the details, and um, I can let Mr. Foxwell explain that much better than I ever could, but uh, applied there, got the, got the permit, had a great festival, <clears throat> did the same the second year, had a great festival the second year. Uh, okay, and I want to bring in Lynn now. Lynn, what's what's the state comptroller's role? And since it looks like Mayor Day was unable to go the local route, which would have, it seems like it would have been the preferred route, right? Right, right, Mayor. I mean, you would have rather just got the licenses from the well, county. Well, actually, I wouldn't say there's a preference at all. Um, in fact, there are other events that we have here that uh, go uh, for state permits, and there are okay. those that go for local permits. Um, I think the only differentiation is whether or not they highlight and feature, um, you know, Maryland beer and wine. Uh, but again, I'll leave that to Mr. Foxwell to describe it. He knows far better than I do. All right. I'm yeah, going to bring in. Go ahead, Lynn. So, so, um, First of all, let me just put this in this before we get into the details of the process by which the license was applied for and issued. Let me just put a little bit of context um, on a personal note. Uh, as you know, Ryan and Jake, I was born and raised on the Eastern Shore, and Salisbury's relationship to Cambridge, and I think some of our older listeners will understand the analogy, is sort of like the relationship of Mount Pilot to Mayberry. It's a, it's the bigger town that you go to for shopping and and fun and for for many of us for college and so I've I've had a very close personal relationship with Salisbury really my entire life whether it was going to the old Salisbury Mall or going to the Civic Center for concerts and athletic events and so I've seen Salisbury through the years through some some difficult times and some good times and the National Folk Festival is both a, an economic catalyst as well as a reflection of the transformation that's occurred in the city of Salisbury in recent years. And so much of that is attributable to the extraordinary leadership of Mayor Day and his partners, not only on the, on the city council, but also civic institutions like the hospital and Salisbury University, the business community, whether it's the Greater Salisbury Committee or the Chamber of Commerce, what you have is a group of people, business leaders, political leaders, civic stakeholders pulling together to make Salisbury, which has had some tough times in recent years. They've taken their hits, but now things are pointing in the right direction, and Salisbury today is one of the most electrifying small cities in America, and the economic renaissance that's occurring there is really a textbook for other small cities to follow, and I know that small cities around the country are watching the Salisbury experience very carefully. Now, uh, Ryan, to your point, I, th I agree with Jake. There's not a preferred method. I have to say that when, when, we were, when we were called by the city of Salisbury back in the late spring of 2018, which is roughly what I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, I have to say I was I a little so. surprised because, as Jake pointed out, this is a this is a, a national event that has the capacity to bring hundreds of thousands of visitors to your town, uh, pump tens of millions of dollars into the local and regional economy, 
and it really does put the host city on the map as a as a cultural and performing arts mecca. And so it was just our expectation that when this process began, after they worked so hard to get the festival, that the county would have run and not walked that license from the county office building down to City Hall to hand it to the mayor personally in a in a true spirit of, of obvious partnership. So I was, to be honest, shocked that we had to be called in the first place. And obviously there was the, – the, 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 uh, the application was buttoned down in good working order. We exercised our due diligence, which is what we always do uh, when we're talking about an event of this magnitude. Uh, we, we took a site visit to Salisbury. We made sure that the, that the signage uh, for, the, for the beer and wine, that the, uh, that the boundaries for consumption were clearly marked, uh, that that um, it wouldn't be employees of the National Folk Festival, you know, uh, overseeing the pouring of the pouring of the beer and wine. That it was going to be event volunteers. I mean, there's a series of steps that you have to go through in order to receive this license, and we exercised their due diligence, and it really wasn't uh, even a close call. I mean, they they did their homework. Jake, you and your colleagues had done everything right, and what the county executive said in his secretive and surreptitious letter to Senate President Miller on August 27th was that this event doesn't really promote beer and wine. Well, to, to be quite candid, Ryan, that's one of the most asinine things I've ever read, read on the uh, printed page because I can't think of an event that we have issued a license for in my 12 years in the comptroller's office that has done more to raise awareness of and promote the responsible selection and consumption of Maryland craft beer and Maryland wine than the National Folk Festival. Lynn, I, I'm glad I, you I saw so many, I just I, mean, I, I want to so just... many people, whether it's whether it's Dan Dan O'Hare I was talking to Dan O'Hare last <laughs> week and Dan's one of the key volunteers and Dan said, I can't tell you how many people came into town and were and were falling in love with Evolution Craft Beer and Eastern Shore Brewing Company and RAR and some of the other beers yeah. that were on tap. And they're going to go back with with samples and with uh, with good memories of good times with uh, good friends and some good beer. I'm glad you brought up the August 27th letter. This is where the hubbub is ar- arriving from, especially from your Friday Facebook post. And let me just say that any time that Lynn Foxwell makes a posting, it will garner statewide attention. I mean, look, Lynn, you're the comptroller's chief of staff. But this was your, your, your response to County Executive Culver's letter was especially pointed. And let me just briefly explain what that letter was, who was it, who was it addressed to, and what it means in the whole context of the Folk Festival. So – it looks like on the 27th of August, County Executive Bob Culver, who is a Republican now in his second term as the County Executive of Wicomico County, he sent a letter to Maryland Senate President Thomas V. Mike Miller. And in the letter, he said that the appointed local board of licensed commissioners, they were not consulted at all about beer and wine licenses 
for the National Folk Festival. And the crux of his letter stated that what the Comptroller, the Comptroller of Maryland did, what his staff did, essentially what you did, Lynn, was illegal. And then you wrote a rebuttal letter on September 13th. And you sort of you sort of found out about this, and let's let's talk about this. So, Culver, by the way, I in, I invited the county executive to join the show. I sent an email, I believe, on Friday night, requesting that he would join us. I did not hear back. However, he does plan to speak sometime tomorrow on this incident. But when a sitting county official, especially an executive of of a county in the state of Maryland accuses a statewide constitutional officer of doing something illegal, breaking the law, that that's a very serious accusation. And Len, you responded in a letter, but let me ask you this, and, and I'll, I'll shift over in just a moment to, to Mayor sure. Day. L- <clears throat> Len, what was the reasoning, or what do you surmise is the reasoning that County Executive Culver would send a letter to Maryland Senate President Miller. What what could he have done to, I guess, um, could he have made the licenses null and void? Could he have influenced and investigated? What, what was that reasoning? I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Well, Ryan, join the club. I, I've been, as you know, I've been in government a very long time. Next year will be my 25th year in public service. I have never seen a situation like this in my career where you have a, a an elected official from a local jurisdiction essentially writing to a an influential lawmaker, in this case the presiding officer of the Senate, Mike Miller, uh, arguing against the best economic interests of his or her own jurisdiction. I mean this just this never happens. So you I, I'm just trying to there's a I'm just, there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, there. So, um, first, let's talk about the process by which the letter was sent. Typically, if there is a in a situation where a a local official is actually accusing a statewide constitutional officer, in this case, Comptroller Franco, in his office, of violating Maryland law, that first of all, that conversation would be directly directed directed to, to us, right? Right, uh, and uh, it would it would actually I mean, it would be unheard of for for the elected official to send something like this without being buttressed by ample legal opinion. I mean, typically uh, you would have the in this case the Wicomico County Attorney or at least the legal counsel to the the um, the Board of License Commissioners in Wicomico County as part of that. What you have here is a layman, because I, I'm not aware of any law degree or any legal training Bob Culver has um, at his disposal. You have a you have an elected official accusing the comptroller of breaking the law based on his own personal theory, without any evidence of substantiation from any other credible legal voices. In this case. He did not share this directly with the comptroller. He sent it directly, and in, and for that matter, Ryan, he didn't send it to to any of his his uh, many members of his county council. He didn't send it to the mayor and city council 
uh, Mayor Day or his colleagues. He didn't even send it through any members of his legislative delegation. Now think of that, Ryan. You have the Wicomico County Executive conversing directly with Mike Miller, and as of Thursday, the the chairman of the Wicomico delegation, a second-term Republican named Carl Anderson, was completely unaware that such a letter existed. Well, and that's, and, an, that's another point is that why, if he is making an accusation of the comptroller's office breaking a Maryland law, not only that, not sending it to his counsel, not having it backed up by any legal opinion, which I don't see in his letter. There was no county attorney that was copied that pointed out a statute in Maryland law. And moreover, if he thought that the county – if he thought that the comptroller of Maryland broke a law, then wouldn't have – wouldn't the letter have been cc'd to, uh, to our state's attorney general, to Brian Frosch? Well, I, it, you, could have brought, you could have brought Brian Frosch in. You could have even – if you wanted to assume a more aggressive posture, you could have certainly brought in even the, the Maryland state prosecutor's office, none of which obviously occurred. I want to close before you go to, to Jake with two points. First, let's assume that Bob Culver did actually know what he was talking about and that the city applied for the permits illegally and that the permits were issued by our office illegally. What that would have meant was that we made an, we made a, an, an, interpretative error, an interpretation error to the good of Wicomico County. It, was, it wouldn't have it wouldn't – the Wicomico County wasn't being disadvantaged by the issuance of these permits, it would have been a mistake in Wicomico County's favor. What other, what other elected official um, on earth, knowing that, would, would look at essentially a gift horse in the mouth and say anything other than, thank you, Mr. Comptroller, for, for calling it in our favor? That's what's so stunning. The second part is, what would have happened had his, his – his efforts to get Mike Miller to initiate hostile action had actually borne fruit. What would have happened had Mike Miller, for instance, um, directed Bob Culver to go to a friendly court and seek injunctive relief? And what, ha- what would have happened had Bob Culver gone to a, a, a judge and a judge had issued an injunction? Guess what would have happened? The National Folk Festival would be thrown in complete disarray, and, and, its, and its existence would be in doubt less than two weeks before the gates were set to open. Yeah, I, I want you to hang tight, Lynn, please, because I have more questions for you. But I just want to make a, a point or two before moving over to Mayor Jake Day to, to bring him in on this conversation. And for anybody tuning in, um, we are at 930, which is with the bottom half of the hour and we're talking about the Salisbury Folk Festival and the August 27th letter that County Executive Bob Culver wrote addressed to Mike Miller that essentially said that issuing beer and wine licenses for said folk festival was illegal, that he broke the law. Um, and I just want to make the point that sending the letter specifically directed and aimed at uh, uh, Senate President Miller, as you said, the presiding officer over the Senate – Look, it's no secret that we all know that the Senate president and the comptroller have had their fair share of battles. I know both men respect one another, but I I wouldn't necessarily call them political allies. They have on some issues, but on other issues, they're certainly – they have not seen eye to eye. And uh, 
I, I what my 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 deepest question. I wish the county executive were here to ask, and it's um, and, and since he's not here, we can only speculate. But why is it that what did he hope to accomplish by having the Senate president receive this letter and then what exercise some sort of authority? I mean, that would be really out of the range and scope of the Senate president's responsibilities. Hey, Lynn, one question is, how did you come about this letter? Who shopped, who, who, you know, who shopped it over to you? What, what, how did you first discover that this even existed? I, you know, Salisbury, while it's a growing town, it's still a very small town in many respects. And uh, there was a, I, I heard about it from a friend of a friend uh, in the community that, that the county executive had actually been boasting to some folks within the business leadership of the community that he had sent this letter to Mike Miller asking oh. that uh asking that they take a real look at this illegal action again I want to bra- I want to I want to impose parentheses here Jake if if tomorrow Bob Culver steps in front of a microphone and said he was sim- simply trying to inform the Senate president of this the obvious question would be why August 27th, with the festival set to open in less than two weeks, about 10 days to be exact, why wouldn't this, why wouldn't this have come uh, after a successful folk festival in which everyone had a good time and, this, and the town was rolling in money maybe and as a part of a post-mortem, send something and bring the comptroller and others together to say, hey, next year we really should do this the more proper way because I think – this decision-making process should come through the county. Our, it's very clear to us, and I, I want to un- underscore this point. Bob Culver has so much personal animosity and resentment toward Jake Day, the mayor of Salisbury, that he would be more than willing to see this event die simply in order to embarrass the mayor. Len, hang that's tight. That's this is all about. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a salient point. Mayor... Did you have any idea this letter existed until Friday? No. No. So you found out like the rest of us did, basically by first I I first found out about by this that this even occurred by reading Lynn's Facebook status and then the uh, adjoining letter that I saw on WBOC, which is Delmarva's news leader there. And Mayor, were you surprised by I guess the lack of communication if Mr. If County Executive Culver had a problem with the way that the city of Salisbury went about garnering its licensing process, did he pick up the phone and say, "Hey, Mayor, let's we got to talk about this. Let's figure this thing out." Well, well, no, I I can't recall a time that he has picked up the phone and, and called um, myself or or called the city offices. But um, uh, what I was aware of was the letter he wrote last year to the comptroller saying. You know, can you please not issue these permits, which um, I, I, I think we can ask uh, Mr. Foxwell what happened to that letter. But I, I imagine it did not get much attention, um, but it, it was concerning at the time. It was discussed among the business leaders of Salisbury. It was discussed among the executive committee of the National Folk Festival. It was discussed at the leadership level of the National Council of Traditional Arts. It was um you know, I think it was surprising to all of us, obviously. Why would any public official do anything to undermine the economic growth of their community? Um, you know, so so it's surprising in that sense. Um, but as far as 
the circumvention of the comptroller and and you know a, a hundred other people and going to the Senate president. No, I I had no idea that happened and would not have guessed that that would have happened. It was was of course surprised when I learned about it. And and Mayor Day, let me ask you this question. Len alluded to this uh, just a moment ago. Do and it, like I said again, the county executive is not on this show to answer these questions. So we can I can only ask you and then try to follow up with him at a later point. But do you have any? Is there some sort of longstanding grudge between you two? Do you have a beef with the county executive? Do you have a uh, a, a tenuous relationship. What's what's going on with that? I, I think he and I have always had a good personal relationship. Um, what what has a lot of history is uh, the the county and the municipality um, having a, a tough relationship. And that's you know I just left the Maryland Municipal League Board of Directors um, retreat and orientation uh, was with many of my peer city leaders from around the state of Maryland. And um, over uh, part of this week, and um, you know that's true in every county uh, that has municipalities in the state. Uh, when I visit with the U.S. Conference of Mayors, that's true in virtually every form of government around the country. Um, that's just a tension, you know, based on municipalities being, uh, you know, the the entities that are providing core functions to their citizens. They're the economic drivers. They're where a lot of the economic activity happens. But there's lots of responsibilities they don't have. And, um, and 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 responsibilities that lie with county leaders, and so those those two things are in tension frequently. And in the past few years, um, you know, when I came into office, you know, I think we had a, a great um, uh, beginning um, to our relationship. And I, when I came into office, I, I think what I found was um, there were there were specific policy issues where there were there were, was uh, disagreement and trouble uh, between the city and the county, and some of that was our fire services. Some of that was um, uh, tax billing. Uh, we certainly disagree about um, double taxation, tax differential. You know, uh, we think we should uh, uh, receive a uh, reduction in our county taxes. Um, there, there's there's lots of those things, but I guess what what I'm surprised by is that um, that those policy disagreements over time would lead someone, and I'm not. I can't ascribe motives. I don't know uh, why he would have done this, but um, but let's you know let's assume that's part of the driving factor, and and I want to I want to put that in context, Ryan, of of what that led to. If you think about our small city and our small county, you know, 105 thousand people uh, between 105 and 110 thousand people. Um, you know, this is a, a, a community-driven event, um, almost all of the funding for which comes from the community or the state. The, uh, we've got dozens of donors, uh, major corporations, you know, Purdue and Avery Hall and, uh, and Pohanka and Salisbury University and PRMC and Whiting Turner and, and every, you know, every small business and firm you can think of um, and all of their leadership and all of their employees we have over a thousand volunteers uh, from inside the city and outside the city, from inside Wakamaka County and outside. We had artists from around the country coming to perform their craft. We had visitors from around America, over 150,000, more than any other time in our city for any other event. A team of people and leaders working together. We had over the last two years, we have um, we've had 
you know, U.S. senator, congressman, um, every county council member, city council member, the mayor, the county executive himself, who looked to be having a great time both years, um, and um, the entirety of the Eastern Shore delegation in attendance, uh, not to mention the chair, uh, the chair, uh, the co-chairs of the event are Jim and Jan Purdue, who are incredibly uh, community-minded, philanthropic people, and Governor Hogan and First Lady Yumi Hogan. And, and all of those people are involved in this. And so I don't think there's any question that a community and a state has united around a, a moment. Um, and look, there are lots of unifying moments. This is not, I don't mean to pretend like this is the only one, but, you know, there is unity around this, uh, this project. And this is a lasting thing. The, the National Folk Festival is here for three years, but it will plant and be a legacy festival in perpetuity as long as our community sustains it after that. So all of that combined says to me that there is unity. Um, and for anyone to, um, to in the shadows, try to undermine it, it it's perplexing. It's a good, Ryan, it's I a wanna good jump, word. Ryan, I want to jump. I want to jump in on this uh, just for okay. a second because I, I agree with everything Jake said. I'll, he, he, Jake is a, as you know, in addition to being a great mayor, he's just a very nice guy, and he's there's only so far he's going to go in talking about his relationship with Bob. That's why I said what I said, and I'll just leave it at that. Let's take let's 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 move let's move forward. Let's look let's look at the next time Wicomico County and the city of Salisbury have an opportunity to attract a really big fish. A major employer. Um, we're talking 300, 500 new jobs. It does happen. Salisbury and Wicomico County have a lot of natural advantages: interstate highway access, proximity to Philadelphia, Washington, Baltimore, New York, uh, the presence of you know four-year universities and community colleges. Let's say that they're on, that they are in a position to compete for a major employer that would that would do so much to benefit the local economy. What if you're the CEO of that company? and you're considering Wicomico County in the city of Salisbury, and you read something like this, where the county executive who was elected not once but twice to represent the best interests of his constituents and to be a steward of the local economy is so consumed with whatever it is he's consumed with that he would actually try to blow up a landmark event 10 days before it was set to open what does that tell you about the the business climate, about about Wicomico County's uh, uh, stature as an ideal place to invest capital? What does that do, what does that mean to the business reputation of this community that has so much to offer and has come such a long way because of Jake and Jack Heath and the business community all pulling together? So, I, it's a certainly a big factor. To consider, especially for the economic output that a festival like this would bring to the city, and part of your rebuttal letter, Lynn, which was much lengthier than the county executives, uh, you know, you certainly had to get you had to get some of these points off your mind. I understand, and you said you wrote, "If I will, if you will indulge my personal observation, I would suggest that." Rather than engaging in mock outrage that the comptroller's office acted without the blessing of your political cronies, you should be personally embarrassed that we needed to be called in the first place. And I, I, 
so my question is, Len, does does Bob Culver have any personal animosity, or does he, what's his relationship with the comptroller himself and the, the your office? You know, interestingly enough, Ryan, we've always had a cordial relationship. Uh, you know, Peter has, as you know, Peter spends a lot, and Jake can certainly attest to this. Peter spends a lot of time in Wicomico County, and. We and, and in the city of Salisbury, and we have what can only be described as a special relationship with the city. And let me just tell you what that means. We have, uh, since Peter has come into office, we have expanded our retail branch office, moved it to a brand new location that offers more space, better space, better parking. Beforehand, it was it was buried in the corner of the of the county courthouse, and just was not a great situation. So we. We create a new state-of-the-art regional branch office, and in addition to that, we actually uh, opened in 2018 the first-ever regional call center where 22 employees are sitting working the phones every day, answering taxpayer calls, serving the taxpayers, and because of that branch office, we've actually been able to expand our, our bandwidth to provide good customer service to the taxpayers that is happening in Salisbury. So yeah, I mean, Peter and Bob have always had a good relationship. And, and, and again, that's just one of the many, many elements of this story. That's so surprising, but Ryan, I want to, I want to just pinpoint one thing. When I mentioned uh, your cronies on the, on the liquor board, I want you to remember, because this name is going to figure more prominently as we move forward in the story. A woman by the name of A. K. Kenny. K. Kenny. She serves as the public affairs. Her official title is public affairs liaison to the county executive. Although I, I, I have reason to believe in practice, she functions more as an executive assistant to the county executive. Her other role is as the chairperson of the Wicomico County Board of License Commissioners. I want I want to just stop and pause right there. In my my 24 years in government, I have never seen such an incestuous relationship between the liquor board and the executive branch of the county government. Of course, there's cronyism. We all know that friends and donors and political wheeler dealers get these county liquor board jobs because they come with with influence. But there usually is at least I should say always in the past has been at least the perception of an arm's length relationship between the executive and the liquor board. Here you have a person who is serving in a dual role and those two roles are inherently contradictory and they pose a direct conflict of interest. And that's one of the many things that I hope the County executive is poised to talk about when he addresses the media and the public tomorrow to talk about this burgeoning scandal. Well, in his let. And, and and thank you for that, Len. And in his letter, he wrote that the licenses that have been issued, primary purpose is to promote Maryland Maryland wine and beer, but the approved licenses for the Folk Festival, he, in his words, he says, which has no relevance to a wine festival or beer festival. Uh, he said something that is very concerning to me is that the local board of license commissioners was totally circumvented both this year and last he wrote they were not consulted at all do we know if that's it true or not len do we 
No, it's a lie. Jake just told you at the outset of the show that that the first that the first point of contact was the city going to the county to ask for these licenses and and what can only be described as a highly irregular response with no basis in merit. The county told the city to go jump off, you know, jump off a pier. And fortunately for for the city's economy and for the city's quality of life, the Maryland statute permits both the county and the state and or the, the county or the state to issue this nonprofit beer and wine permit. So the city did what the city had to do, which was to come to the state, and um, we we did our job because the county wouldn't do its job. So to say that the county was circumvented is one of many falsehoods that's been told by the county executive, uh, both privately and in publicly and in private correspondence with with Mike Miller. Right. Mayor, I can, let me, I can add to that if that's okay. Absolutely, please jump in. Yeah, so um, the the organizations that both hold the uh, license for this event um, and are again the fiduciary partner and who typically. Um, uh, hold our beer and wine licenses for us. The city doesn't do that. Um, it's, it's civic organizations like the JCs or Rotary Clubs, things like that. Um, they, they approached, they uh, represented us and had the, those conversations with the Board of License Commissioners staff. And um, the response, as Glenn said, was not only highly unusual, but concerning given that, you know, we were fast approaching what we thought was an easy, simple, straightforward process and had been always in the past and suddenly seemed to be politicized and twisted. Um, but I'd like to just point out one other thing. Um, the idea that the county was circumvented to, um, to draw a state uh, permit through the comptroller's office when both processes are separate and clearly defined in state law is really kind of a strange argument. And the strangest part about it is not just that, you know, both exist and, you know, I, I didn't write the state law, so I, I can't speak to how or why that was created. But what I can speak to is that um, these are licenses that are issued, meaning the state ones, regularly without, you know, any process or involvement in, uh, of counties um, throughout the state. And this is not the only situation. They happen frequently. And in Wicomico County, um, we, as far as I know, there's no letter stating that the county executive or anyone else objects to the other ones that have been issued in Wicomico County. For example, over the course of this summer and fall, it has been issued several times to the Salisbury Zoo uh, for fri um, uh, Fun Fridays at the Salisbury Zoo. Those are state permits. There's no, been no discussions with the county about that. Um, and then the Autumn Wine Festival, which is a county-run event. The county doesn't provide its own permit for that. The county goes to the comptroller. I can't explain why they choose that route rather than their own permit. Um, presumably, if both are options, they would stay local, but um, they haven't. Uh, so, um, you know, if it's count, if it's good for good enough for the county, why is it not good enough for the city? And if it's good enough for another city event, why is it a problem with this event? I, I think st still people are wondering, and I'm scratching my head, as maybe both of you are as well. What's the point of the letter that he wrote? Why? What was he hoping to accomplish? What was his aim? And had the event been 
denied the the licenses, what would have been his excuse? I'm still I guess I'm missing a vital piece of information. And hopefully the the county executive, when he speaks to media tomorrow, he can connect the dots for us. I'm just not understanding what the whole point of his letter is. And whereas he could have simply addressed it to the comptroller himself, he could have had a discussion with the city. He could have pulled everybody in the same room or just picked up the phone. And maybe I I don't know because he's not here, but based on this conversation tonight, it doesn't sound like there was any collaboration. It sounds like – he 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 took the opportunity, put pen to paper, wrote this letter, sent it to the Senate president, and then boasted about it inside of the community according to what we were told – what Len had said tonight. And then I, – I mean if there was a real problem, there was a real governance problem. If this was – I mean these are the nuts and bolts of local government is collaboration, right? Didn't we learn that down at Mako? <laughs> I think that's what we all – you know, despite the great parties that we all attended at Mako, one of the key takeaways is collaboration between municipal and county government. That's a keystone of what MML teaches, and certainly you could speak to that, Mayor Day, as that we're all partners here. I'm just trying to understand why there was simply no collaboration or discussion on this issue. Maybe I'm out of the loop. Maybe I don't understand all the facts. Maybe County Executive Culver will We'll, we'll, we'll patch up what's what I think I'm missing in this whole story. But the bottom line is, and this is basically what I'm hearing and in, in reading from Salisbury residents, is why would you do this? What what was the whole point, and was there some sort of personal motivation attached to it, as Len seems to think there might have been? Len, do you want to do you want to just quickly follow up to that? Yeah, I mean, I just want to go back to the last sentence of Bob Carver's letter dated August 27th to Mike Miller, where he wrote, and I'm I'm quoting from the letter now, I think it is important that you and others in elected positions are aware of this unlawful action of the comptroller. So, again, uh, if, if Bob Carver's uh, intent here was to inform and enlighten, why was this letter – constructed and sent in secret? Why was it not shared with his colleagues in county government? Why was it not shared with uh, with his counterparts in city government? Why why did I why did nobody in the Eastern Shore delegation even know that this letter had been sent? Uh, why was it sent on August 27, 10 days before the National Folk Festival was slated to begin as opposed to uh, a cleanup item after the National Folk Festival? And, and again, I want to go back to a point I made earlier. If indeed the comptroller had had missed, had blown the call, if he'd made a mistake in his interpretation of statute, and that resulted in these licenses being awarded to the to the National Folk Festival, wouldn't that have been wouldn't that have been you know wouldn't that have been cause for gratitude by any other elected official who 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 actually got a call that came down on his side? Right. Um, again, we have our we have our theories as to why Bob Culver did what he did, um, and hopefully he'll address it tomorrow. Because right now I can tell you, my phone's been ringing off the hook since this letter was since my letter was uh, publicly uh, dis- distributed, and people are just wondering. And the, the big question that people have on their mind right now is, how could he do this? How could he? How could he try to ruin? 
the best thing to happen in, to the city of Salisbury and to Wicomico County in well over a generation. How could he well, do it? Well, in, in fairness to the county executive, he did say that there is much more to his story, and I don't, I don't know what time we're going to to hear from him tomorrow, but I'm I'm going to be anxious and I'll be listening and. I'm just, I guess I'm just still confused, and I'm not a Wicomico County resident. I don't live in the community, and as you mentioned in your letter, Lynn, to the county executive, um, you're not well-versed in the community issues, although we have someone on the line with us now, of course, Mayor Jake, uh, Jake Day, who is well-versed, and I'm, I guess we'll find out tomorrow, right, gentlemen? I mean, Mayor, are you, you going to listen in and try to figure out what's going on? Because I'm sure your phone, like Lynn's, is blowing up. Yeah, well, it, it is, and and I am well versed in the community issues here. Um, and Ryan, what I what I'd say is this: you know, to your point about municipalities and counties, um, I go to work every single day for people at Salisbury, and whether it's a factory or a festival or a rock concert or a restaurant, uh, my job every day is to work to draw those businesses and those economic opportunities in to make them available for people. And when, when we go to that rock concert or that festival or to that factory floor, we're not asking people their address. We're not asking if they live in a municipality or out. We are working on behalf of all the people of our community, whether they're a resident or a visitor or a business owner. And I guess if between now and tomorrow morning, if, if I were given the good fortune to, have the opportunity to give the county executive some advice i would say mr executive you know this is an opportunity to say i get it Uh, i maybe let my feelings get the better of me i I misfired i i aimed in the wrong direction I i shot toward our community i shot inside the circle and from this point forward you can trust that i will i will be committed to ensuring that every action that I take is forward-looking and attempts to grow our economy and work on behalf of the citizens of Wicomico County. And, uh, and this, is a, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to do better. Well, I, I agree, and I'm hoping that through what seems to be confusion between <laughs> the county executive and the city and somewhere, I guess, the county executive feels that a breakdown has occurred – which led him to write a letter to the Senate president. And we all know the political implications of that. Let's not, let's not just gloss over that. I mean, Len, we, we know at least I, I at least can, can understand what the political implications of a, of a County executive sending a letter directly to the Senate president, who we all know has this sort of uneasy relationship with the comptroller. I mean, what was he, I guess I, I would have to ask him if he were I mean, on I, the show, you know, Hey, I mean, I think we can speculate. I mean, that, yeah. uh, that he, he was searching for a friendly court, uh, that he's, he's, he's well aware of the, the, the relationship that exists between the Senate president and the comptroller. And that and that that relationship has bled over into some of the actions that the legislature has taken in the past couple of years regarding the comptroller's authority to regulate alcohol. And we know what happened with that bill this past year where yeah. the comptroller's uh, authority, effective July 1st, 2020, to regulate 
re- regulate the um, manufacture and distribution of uh, of alcohol is going to go to is going to be transferred to a an independent agency that's appointed by the governor, which may be an oxymoron. Um, so why was he going to Mike Miller? I think he was hoping to initiate um, a host- another hostile action from the Senate president. I want to emphasize this to the Senate president's credit. He didn't take the bait. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you that. What did they do? No, he, 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 he didn't take the bait. He didn't say anything. Listen, we've had our battles with Mike Miller. Mike Miller loves Maryland. We've often had disagreements about how to get Maryland to a, to a better place, get to a higher level, but no one could ever, ever accuse Mike Miller of, of not loving the state and not wanting what's best for the state of Maryland. And Mike Miller on his worst day with Peter Franchot would never touch garbage like this. And good on him. Well, I, I, I'm just still trying to digest what all of this means. And the, again, the takeaway from tonight is the why. Why did he do it? What was he hoping to accomplish? He'll speak to this tomorrow when he addresses the media. But it does feel like there could be something personal. It seems like if if there was an issue with the licenses, everybody could have gotten into a room. There there needn't be a letter. I, I, I could guess that this, this letter could have been avoided entirely had there just been a conversation with someone. And I... I I just get a sense that this might be personal, but again, I don't, I don't necessarily want to speculate, but it, it certainly, it just seems out of, maybe it seems out of character to me that a sitting county executive would not have picked up the phone and called the, maybe even called you, Lynn. I mean, I'm sure, I, I imagine that you're fairly easy to get in touch with. In fact, let me speak to that direct. You are. I know that if he called the office, he wanted to talk to you. He could have gotten in touch with you within a matter of, of minutes, or you would have called him right back. Well, sure. And 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 Bob and Bob and his office in the past have called us with uh, taxpayer constituent issues. And as I mentioned, Kay Kenny is the is in his office and is the chairperson of the Wycom, of the Wicomico County Liquor Board. So. Uh, they do a lot of work with the field mm. enforcement division led by Jeff Kelly. So yes, of course, if there was an if there was an issue, uh, we all could have we could have gotten on the phone, talked it out, and at least maybe agreed to sit down and have a more detailed conversation once the dust settles from the folk festival. But to send this letter to Mike Miller without anybody's knowledge on August 27, basically ask basically asking that the that the Senate President. Uh, you know, nullify what he calls uh, illegal permits. I think he's going. I think he's in for a pretty rough time. And I think Jake's advice is should be well considered. My guess is that it won't be. But I think Jake's no. strategy is a good place to start. Well, I he's think that screwed up and moved on. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out tomorrow. I don't know if he set a time. Or if there's a specific t- location, I don't know. I don't know any of the details, but uh, I'm going to be following closely. Maybe it'll be broadcasted Facebook Live, or um, I'm sure the media down in Salisbury will cover it. I wish I could cover it, but tomorrow I I can't. Otherwise, I really think this is the weekend issue of of September. This is the big issue this weekend, and uh, in a in an otherwise uh, slow news month, and I'm. I'm finding this to be 
wildly fascinating as the the synergies occur between municipal and county governments. And I, I think we'll get to the bottom of this. But Mayor Day, I, I appreciate you coming on tonight again to to have this conversation. And hopefully that for anyone who is listening, a Salisbury residents, I, I don't know if they got any clarity tonight. Of course, we're looking for some, but at least they have your side of the story. You had an hour's worth of time to to talk about it, and that's important because we can, you know, put all of these issues out on the table. That's why that's that's my hope for this show. That's my hope for what this podcast means to discuss these big issues. And once again, I have to reiterate that I did invite the county executive to join the show. I sent an email to him on Friday, or it was either Friday or Saturday morning, asking if he would be able to join. And unfortunately, I didn't get a response, but Maybe he'll come on at another time, and we'll have a, a long, a, a long-form discussion as we did about this. And Lynn, I always appreciate your time. Thanks for explaining the the comptroller's position, your position, um, and what your letter is. So, um, gentlemen, it's been an honor and a pleasure to talk to you both tonight. I I wish it could have been under more, I guess, it, better circumstances that were a little bit more positive. But hey, this is a big issue, and in Salisbury right now, and I think we have to air this out. Well, if I may, Ryan, I think, uh, you know, we had the most positive weekend we've had in uh, uh, our city's memory. So um, that's that's where my head is. That's where my mind is. And I think that's where most of our community is. Well, well, I appreciate that. And I do, I am excited to see the future of Salisbury and on another episode, I promise we'll get more into your reelection bid and your hopes, your what you want to accomplish in a second term and how uh, how you're going to go about achieving that. And, you know, Len Foxwell is our, our resident in-house analyst and uh, commentator, and he's, you know, he's virtually my my sidekick in this show. So I I always appreciate it. Um Ryan, thank thanks you for, very much. It's, it, it's it's important that you took the time to focus attention and uh, public light on an issue that otherwise um, may have gone eluded for way too long. So, thank you as always uh, for being the voice of transparency and accountability. Well, hey, listen, I I, I try and I I can't always be in the basement of the Capitol building with my typewriter and my my scribe and pen. But I can sit in my downstairs office with my microphone, and I can churn out a good podcast every once in a while. I might not be part of the institutional press, but we will nonetheless get the story out, gentlemen. So I – No one does it better. I bid you both a wonderful week. Thank you so much for spending time with us tonight, and uh, maybe next week my Steelers – I don't know if they're playing, but if they, they'll, maybe they'll do a little bit better. Um, so Mayor Day and Len Foxwell, much thanks for coming on tonight. All right. Good night, guys. All right. All right thank you. Okay. So that was Mayor Jake Day and Comptroller Peter Franchos, Chief of Staff Len Foxwell, talking about the controversy surrounding the National Folk Festival, talking about the letter that County Executive Bob Culver sent to the Senate president, Mike Miller's office, claiming that the licenses that the comptroller's office approved were illegal.
tomorrow. County Executive Carver intends to speak on that matter. We'll be following it. You can check into a minordetail.com. I'm going to try to get the county executive to come on this show. If he does, that'll be wonderful. We'll have that discussion. I'll give him the same amount of time. And look, we're always fair on this show. Always going to try to get to the minor details. So that's important. It's a big issue in Salisbury. And look, the point of the, the whole, as, as Joe Biden would say, the fact of the matter is this was a spectacular festival. This was a widely important event, and this was huge for this community. Economic, the, the, just the economics alone, having so many new people come into the city to spend money there, to take time to, 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 to see this talent. It's huge. It's huge for any community, but especially well, we're, we're Marylanders first and foremost, and it's an honor, and I'm so glad that the city was able to make this large event happen. So with that, I'll go ahead and wrap up the show. And thank you all so much for listening on a Sunday night. I'm sure you could be doing anything else but listening to a podcast. But if not, I encourage you to go to my website. It's a minordetail.com and subscribe to our daily newsletter. And you can also follow me on the web at a minordetailpodcast.com. That shows all my podcasts. You can find every single one of them since, what, four or five years ago. And I will be here every Sunday night and more often, I hope. So thank you all so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful and successful week. You can subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, CastBox, Overcast, or any application where you listen to podcasts. Like a Minor Detail podcast on Facebook and follow the conversation on Twitter at AMD Podcast. If you or someone you know is interested in sponsoring a Minor Detail podcast, please reach out to me at ryan at a minordetail.com. Thanks so much for listening.